The gospel reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, beginning at verse 16. It is also the sermon text today. But just prior to this passage, in the early part of John, chapter 6, it tells how Jesus one day traveled from the west side of the Sea of Galilee to the east side, and crowds of people followed him there. They had nothing to eat, and so he fed them miraculously from a small amount of food. He fed 5,000 people on that day. And the people were so glad for that miracle that they wanted to surround him and make him king, which was not what he was intending. And so uh, he withdrew to a mountain all by himself. His disciples were not with him. When this passage that I'm going to read now begins, Jesus is there, not with the disciples. Listen to what happens. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the, of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father 
gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. This is the gospel of the Lord. Morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words that were read, the songs that were sung, and the responses of your people this morning. I ask that you would use me and that you would open all of our ears to hear your word be transformed by it, and Lord, that we would see you for who you are, and that we would seek you for who you are. Do that through us by your spirit and by your power. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, so before we begin, uh, just, just to kind of think through the context of this passage that we have here. Um, <clears throat> As George said, we, we go through this period last week that Sam preached on where we had the feeding of the 5,000. And then we go into this narrative of Jesus walking on the water. And in John's, in John's passage here, we go directly into what's known as the, the bread of life discourse. And it seems kind of an aside. When, when you're talking, when you're feeding bread, it seems like the most natural flow would be to go from the feeding of the 5,000, the bread, and going right into him saying, I'm the bread of life, right? But it doesn't. It goes into this, into this narrative of Jesus walking on the water and coming to his disciples and delivering them over to the shore. So what's the context of all this? Well, it's the Passover. We see in, in 6.4, it says, and the Passover was at hand. It explains a lot when you know what was going on during Passover. Passover was when people from all over came to celebrate Israel's deliverance from the hands of Egypt. It's their deliverance from bondage. There was a theme with Passover. That theme was freedom. Freedom. Because that's what happened. God came in and he took the Israelites and he conquered Egypt and he brought them through the water, through the wilderness, to himself. Now this uh, Passover was also followed by a seven-day celebration called the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this was put into place, it was established back in Exodus 12. And God says this to Moses in verse 14 of chapter 12, he says this, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout all your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. This was something they were to continue on as long as they were God's people. They were continue this remembrance. It's kind of like what we do with, with uh, D-Day, after we had victory over the Nazis. It's what we do to commemorate 9-11, the death and destruction that happened and to, so that we never forget our fallen. 
It's what we do for Martin Luther King Day. We just had a great celebration here, and uh, um, for those of you who were here for Aaron's presentation where we listened to a speech from Martin Luther King and had a discussion, it was really a wonderful thing. But we do that to, to celebrate the freedom that Martin Luther King brought in for the African-American people. And then we have other days that we celebrate, but we celebrate them to remember and to remember certain key moments in our history. So this is literally a time where hundreds of thousands of Jewish people would come from all over to celebrate. It was also a time for a lot of things to happen. If you can imagine that many people coming into Jerusalem, think about a big celebration in our city or in our, our nation's capital and all the things that can happen when you have so many people coming in from all over, especially when it's a celebration of freedom from oppression, when you are feeling like you are still oppressed by the Roman government. So you have 300 to 500,000 people coming in, celebrating this deliverance of what God was doing. And beyond that, there is also prophecies and rabbis talking about a new exodus, a new time of deliverance, a new a Messiah they were waiting for. And what a perfect time for a Messiah to come. It also explains why in 615, why the Jews were coming to want to make Jesus king. Because this man just fed all of us. He just created bread and fish. He fed us. Let's make him king. And so they wanted to come and force him to be king. Because perhaps he had the power to overtake the oppressive government of the Romans also. But Jesus would have none of it. And he got away from them. In fact, this, this narrative is, is also um, uh, in Mark and Matthew. And in Mark and Matthew, I think it's Matthew, he says that Jesus sent his disciples away, told them to go to the boat to cross uh, the, the, the sea, and he was going to go off and spend time in prayer to be alone with his father. But what were the gospel writers doing here in putting this narrative right after the feeding of the 5,000 because it's it, Matthew and Mark do the same thing after the feeding of the 5,000 comes the, the the account of Jesus walking on the water why is it sandwiched here between the feeding of the 5,000 and then this talk on the bread of life well it has a lot to do with the context of Passover because Jesus is showing us two things. John is showing us, actually. The gospel writers are showing us two things that Jesus is in this context. He's showing us that Jesus is our exodus. He is our deliverer. And he is our manna. Those were the two key aspects of the Passover. The crossing of the Red Sea, deliverance through the sea, and sustaining with bread. Life in the wilderness and crossing over the Red Sea. And Jesus is showing us in these two accounts that he is our deliverer and our manna. So let's look at verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Two things. I want to look at, first of all, it was now dark. Remember a few sermons ago, we talked about this at the beginning of the book of John, how John uses 
contrast between dark and light, life and death. And he uses darkness, it seems like he uses darkness intentionally with, with, with a, a, a motive. So when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he comes to him by night. When, when Judas goes to betray Jesus, he leaves the upper room in John 13 and it says, and it was night when he went away from the presence of the Savior. It was also in the beginning, when, when John is introducing Jesus, it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend or cannot overcome the light. The darkness has no power over the light. The darkness is a sign of, godless, of godlessness, of sin, of evil. And that's what is being portrayed here when they get out onto the sea and it's dark and the sea is churned up and they're in the middle of a chaotic, raging sea. Now, another thing that's kind of curious here, if you notice in verse 16, it, or verse 17, it says, and Jesus had not yet come to them. It's like everybody should know that he was going to do this when you're reading it. And if you, if you caught that and you're wondering about that, it's, well, it, it's one possibility here is that John wrote his gospel much later than Matthew and Mark. So most of John's readers probably knew of this account. But John was giving it in his context and talking about who Jesus was, but he was including this narrative. And he was saying, because we already knew from the Matthew and Mark accounts that Jesus was going to come to them. He said, now Jesus had not yet come to them. So that's one possible explanation of what he was saying there. Verse 18, the, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And of course, they were scared. They were frightened. What makes it even uh, more dramatic is uh, during Passover, it was uh, most likely a full moon, and if the sky was clear, that would be extra creepy. If you're out on the water and you see in the light of the full moon this figure come walking towards you, they were legitimately frightened. They had been rowing for about three or four miles. That's not that far for as long as they had been going. They'd been working very hard to get through. And here comes Jesus. The raging sea, the darkness, the fear, all point to a wilderness-type situation, a, a, a time with, with, with barrenness, without order, without salvation. Think about the way the raging sea is used. Think about the way darkness and chaos is used. Before creation, before God spoke light into the world, there was, there was chaos, there was darkness, the, the, the waters were swarming. This is used also, you see in, in Psalm 107 that we read with that nice responsive reading, that God stirs up the waters, but when Jesus comes, when the Lord comes, he calms the waters, and then he took them. It says he took them to their destination, to their haven. And that's exactly what he does here. He tells his disciples in verse 20, he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Something interesting about this, it is I, this is the same word in Greek for I am. You know, the I am statements that Jesus gives, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life that we'll look at later. This is believed also to be, some translations will say, I am, do not be afraid. That Jesus is declaring his power and his glory and his ability to calm the sea, his, his ability to be over the sea, over the raging sea. Moses led them through it. He's showing them, I can walk on it. 
There is nothing too great for me. There is nothing that can overpower me is what he is saying. And I am here with you. And when he got into the boat, he took them directly to their, their destination. Some commentators claim that that could be another miracle here in this passage. Verse 21, immediately the boat was at the land at which they were going. It's very possible that when Jesus got on the boat, that he immediately trans transferred them to the shore. Another miracle. But the point of this is that Jesus delivered them through the water. They were there celebrating Moses delivering them through the Red Sea, and Jesus was showing his disciples and us, the readers, that he is able to deliver through the troubled waters. He is able to deliver his people through the troubled waters. And we can trust him for that. So he is our deliverer. He is our exodus. And now we switch. So he gets, he gets them to shore, and then we start a new narrative now. Verse 22, on the next day, excuse me a second. Verse 22 says, the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. So they just saw that Jesus got, that the disciples got there and they got over and saw Jesus was there but knew that he didn't go with them, so how in the world did he get there? And that's the first thing they said to him. Verse 24, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum. So you see, this is what the crowd did. The crowd, after seeing the sign that Jesus fed the 5,000 or the 15,000, however many were there, they went after Jesus. They sought Jesus. And John uses this word. They went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. That's admirable. They're rowing on that same lake. Maybe they fought the same winds. Maybe they rode for hours themselves, but they were seeking Jesus. They were going through whatever they had to get to to get to this man who just fed them. Who is this man? Who is he? Let's go. I'll bet they grabbed other people. I'll bet they told the story. And I'll bet they had others come along as well. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, this term of, of, of respect, teacher, when did you come here? And Jesus, of course, answered them. Well, I walked on the water. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say anything. He didn't answer them. He, he did the same thing he did with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him and says, hey, we know you're a man from God, the way you do these things. And, and Jesus right away ignores the question that, or, or the statement that, that Nicodemus said. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. He cuts right to the point. And he cuts right to the point with these people as well. They said, when did you come here, Rabbi? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I tell you the truth. I'm telling you that you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Did they see the sign? I mean, I thought they did. I thought they just ate what Jesus gave them. So they, they obviously saw the, the, 
the bread being distributed. Now, I got to admit, if you have some, uh, if you have a crowd about the size of what could fill the Enterprise Center, and, and there's a man feeding everybody, and there are no cameras or electronics, I mean, it's very possible that some of them didn't know that this was a miracle, but at the same time, they were trying to make him king, so I think most of them knew that this was an extraordinary act. And then what Jesus was doing was unparalleled to anybody, any, anybody who claimed to be Messiah or wanted to be king or anything else, that this man had something special and they went after him. And they worked hard to get there. But this is a pretty convicting passage. It's a pretty convicting statement from Jesus. Because he says to them, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And it makes me think to myself, why do I seek Jesus? He said, you, you really don't know why you should be seeking me. You really don't know me. You know what I did, you know what I gave you, and you enjoyed it, but you really don't know me. Why do you seek Jesus? You ever have someone say, or maybe you've said it, I tried prayer, it just doesn't work. Have you ever thought that? I tried prayer, it just doesn't work. I've thought that. Makes me wonder if that's how these people were seeking Jesus. Seeking him for what he had to offer them. See, this, this passage or this whole section in the book of John, as we talked, it's called the book of signs. It starts in chapter 2, goes through chapter 12. It's the book of signs. And we talked about signs from you know, time to time. We talk about baptism as being a sign and, and, a, and a seal, and we talk about the sign as being something that's pointing to something greater. When we see the sign going to St. Louis, we know the sign is not the thing, it's where it's pointing. And that's our destination. And every sign that Jesus did was pointing to something about him, something greater. It was not about them getting fed. It was not about somebody getting healed. It was miraculous. But those people got sick again. Those people died. If you notice, he did not feed these people when they came to him. He rebuked them. He didn't feed them. Because they didn't understand that the sign that they were coming, they, they were wanting what he had to offer, but not realizing that what he was demonstrating by feeding them was that he was God over creation. And that he cared about them. And that he was a loving God and would feed the people, would feed the hungry. But it was pointing to something greater. It was pointing to what he was able to do and who he was. Because as he says here, he says, don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. 
See, he's saying, I I understand that you're hungry, but that's not the point of why I came. I didn't come, Jesus said, to feed you every day. I didn't come to heal everybody who was sick. I came to show you that I am your deliverer and I am your source of eternal life. I'm here to take you through the wilderness. And that may include suffering. It will include suffering, he said. It will include death. It will include hardship. It will include poverty. But I'm able to take you through it. I'm able to deliver you. And not only that, I'm the source of life that you could never have on your own. I'm the source of life that goes beyond this life. You know, our eyes, our eyes and our imaginations are, are limited. And sometimes I think of us, I think of myself as a child. Do you ever give a child a gift, especially a smaller child, You have it wrapped up real beautifully and you have it in a cool box and all they do is play with the darn box. Even when that gift is right in front of them, they spend time playing in the box, playing with the box. C.S. Lewis, one of the famous quotes from C.S. Lewis is this in his book, The Way to Glory. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea or at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The people who were seeking Jesus were just wanting to be pleased with what they have now, not able to look beyond not able to look at what greater things Jesus has, the greater life that he offers to us. One person who knew well the sufferings of this life, but also the power of Jesus to deliver was the Apostle Paul. And by the way, um, we will not get through this, uh, the whole pat, uh, text today. Since I'm preaching next week, we'll, we'll pick up with, I believe, verse 28 next week. But we're going to focus on this for the rest of the sermon. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And then he says, for on him God the Father has set his seal. God the Father has set his seal of ownership, saying that the authority that I have is from God the Father. The Apostle Paul said this, You know, there was one part where where the Apostle Paul talks about all the sufferings that he went through. Beatings, torture, being left for dead, hunger, poverty. And yet he said this in 1 Corinthians. We read this almost every Easter. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. 
and we should be changed. For this perishable perishable body, this body that desires more bread, more fish, this perishable body that desires healing and comfort, which, by the way, are all things we're called to cast upon the Lord. The Lord never rebukes us for asking for these things, for comfort, for healing, for help. But he calls on us to trust him, to trust him with the answer that he has us. And if you've given your life to him, he has you and is taking you through. Because Paul says this, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. The bodies that we have are temporary. This world is temporary. We all, some of us all know too well how quickly life is taken away. With the young and with the old. It's like the the rich fool that Jesus told about who built up all his, his, his storehouses full of things, full of sustenance, full of things to just keep him going for years and years and years. And what happened? He said that night his very life was demanded of him. He said, you fool. Investing in things that don't last when I have eternity in my hands, he says. When I have the gift of eternal life that brings you through this wilderness and you will live forever with me and with all of these things. Paul says this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, what Paul calls on us to do is to be steadfast Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's why Jesus said the work of the Lord in verse 28, we'll look at this more next week, is that you believe in him who he sent. You believe in the one whom he sent. Believe that he is your deliverer. He is your exodus Celebrating Passover, believe on the Messiah who is the new deliverer, the one who will never die, the one who delivers us through the wilderness of death because he went through the wilderness of death first for us. Taking on all the pains, taking on all the stripes, beaten as a suffering servant and being hung to death on the cross going through and overcoming it, celebrating with the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, take this time this week to examine why you're seeking Jesus. What things are drawing you to Jesus? I will tell you, if you're seeking him only for earthly things, you will be very disappointed because he never says he is going to give us everything that we need here on earth. But he says he loves us, he cares for us, and he will deliver us from death. He is our deliverer, and he is our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...
the gift of your son that you gave to us. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of eternal life. That we can call on you. That we could trust you for a life that we could not give ourselves. For riches that we could never give ourselves. For eternity. And for peace and comfort that we could never know without you. A peace that goes beyond all understanding. Lord, our deliverer in our life. Please remind us of that and let us trust in you, increase our faith always in Christ's name. Amen.